All right, well, let's get started. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Matthew chapter 6 in uh, verse 14. We're going to be there uh, in just a moment. Matthew chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 14. As you're doing that, I want to ask you this question. How many of you have ever gone tubing before? Like I'm talking behind a boat. Yeah, we've got some tubers in the room, maybe some water skiers. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a big fan of tubing. I would choose to go tubing over water skiing. I think there's a little more adventure to it. Uh, I, I'm a little braver in that. Well, as I've mentioned before, I've got three young kids, uh, two boys, Joel's eight, Luke's five, Kate's three. Joel and Luke and I got to do some tubing together a couple of weeks ago. And that's a lot of fun as my boys get older to have these new adventures with them. And one of the things that I'm learning about my kids is that they're different. Uh, they're not the same. And if you're a parent, you know that to be true. And, and so there's quite a difference even in our eight-year-old Joel and our five-year-old Luke. Uh, our eight-year-old Joel, I, I guess I would describe, he's a little more calculated. Uh, it, it takes a little bit more time. He investigates for a while before he jumps in to do something. Uh, Luke, our five-year-old, well, I think this picture just kind of sums it up. Uh, he's, uh, he's a head-first kind of guy. He's a where's-the-party kind of a guy. And so a few weeks ago, we got to go tubing together with some friends, and he had this big tube. They call it a chariot. And so all three of us were able to get onto it together. And it was, it was great. I mean, it wasn't as fast as I would like, but my boys were loving it. And, and the best part was just listening to them laugh and watching them enjoying themselves. Well, again, I described for you the difference between Joel and Luke. And so I look over partway through our little tubing adventure here. And here's my five-year-old Luke, the one I showed to you on the picture just a moment ago. And he's now standing up on the chariot and he's not holding on. And so he's our little daredevil, and I'm just having a great time watching him as he'll, he'll let go for a while, and then he'll grab on again, and then he'll let go for a while, and then he'll grab on again. Well, we kept going, and, and the driver of the boat was pulling us, and he started to pull us into this cove, and, and he was doing 15, maybe 20 mile an hour, and again, there's Luke, and I made a decision in that moment as a dad. And I don't know if it was the best decision or not, but what I, what I came to, to, to think about in that moment is that there's going to be a point in his life where he's going to fall off the tube. Um, do I want to be the one to help him experience that, let's say, for the very first time? And so, you know, there are no boats around. We're in a safe location. That may not always be the case. And, and so I thought it through for a while, and, and we continue on. And wouldn't you know it, there's Luke again. He's let go. And, well, like any good dad, I reached over and pushed him off the tube. I did it. I, I just I blindsided him. Call it a sucker punch if you want. I knocked him off the tube, and, and then I got really nervous in that moment about what I had just done. And so I turned around and jumped off and swam back to him, and I come up to him, and he's kind of got this big eyes and everything. And the next thing you know, he's got this big smile on his face. He's like, you, you knocked me off. And I don't know if they would take him away from me for, for telling you a story like that. But, but again, uh, you know, it, it was a great moment as a dad and, you know, just a great opportunity to laugh with him and, and again, to enjoy them. But, you know, just to be blindsided like that, to be sucker bunch, if you've never fallen off a two before, can you imagine, you know, the thrill and maybe the, the fear in that moment? But I, I don't want to talk to you about tubing this morning. I want to talk to you about something else. So I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been blindsided like that before? Uh, maybe a sucker punch of sorts. And, and again, I'm not talking about tubing, but I'm kind of talking about in life. I mean, maybe the moment that, you know, you're dating your girlfriend and while you think that everything's going great and it all, she kind of blindsides you one day and tells you she's not interested anymore, you know, and the relationship is over. Or, or you've got this great friend, this so-called friend, and what do you know, one day it just, man, you're blindsided as you realize that he or she has gone by, behind your back and, and maybe shared a, a confidential story uh, with another friend, or, 
Or maybe your mom and dad, they, they blindside you one day as they say something real insensitive about the way that you're raising your children or the way that you choose to parent. Or, or you think your boss is going to sit down with you to talk to you about a promotion one day only to find out that really they're making some changes and you're not involved in those changes. Again, it, it's kind of like a sucker punch to the gut. It's, it's like being blindsided. You never saw it coming or someone hurt your kid in some way. Or maybe they hurt you you know, repeatedly over and over again, or you discover he cheated. And, and maybe you're still together, maybe you're not together anymore, but again, you never saw it coming. And, and whatever it is, blindsided or not, there was an offense, uh, an offense against you, and you were the victim with someone at fault on the other side of it all. And, and because of it, whether it happened a month ago or three years ago or 20 years ago, you're left with some resentment, uh, maybe left with some bitterness, some anger in your life, and maybe an unwillingness to forgive. When you, when you came in this morning, not only should you have received the worship program, but there's a chance that you receive this little piece of paper. It kind of looks like a receipt. If you've got this, will you pull it out right now? Uh, just pull it out and hold it in your hand for a moment. And as you hold this in your hand, I want you to think about this. Um, who is it for you? I mean, what, what's the story that comes to your mind? Who's the face that, that pops into that story? Uh, who, who's somebody that owes you? Who, who came along and blindsided you? I mean, I, I just want you to take that piece of paper, and if there's a name that immediately comes to mind of somebody that maybe has done you wrong, um, if you've got a pen or something, will you just write the name of that person on the receipt? Do that right now. There are some pens around you. Maybe you've got one for your own uh, for taking notes. But if there's somebody that's kind of blindsided you in life, maybe somebody that you're holding some bitterness or some resentment against, just, just go ahead and write their name somewhere on that piece of paper. And if you don't know any of anyone yet, well, maybe just kind of keep this close and let's hold on to it as we're going to refer back to it uh, in a little bit. We're, we're starting a brand new series today called Five Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. Five things I wish Jesus never said, because we'd like to think that everything that Jesus said would fit real nice and neatly on a bookmark, wouldn't we? That, that sometimes the picture that we get of Jesus is Jesus with this flowing robe, sitting on a stool. He's got a lamb on his lap, and he's teaching, and he says all of these things that make us feel nice and warm and cozy on the inside. And it's true. I mean, Jesus said a number of things like that, but he also said a bunch of things that we might secretly wish that he never said. Uh, one of those is in Matthew chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 14. Uh, if you've gone there on your own, we've got it on the screen. Um, let's read it together, actually, if you'll read it with me. Let's, let's read this verse together. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And let's read this next one, verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And this is something that Jesus said. And you might read something like this and think to yourself, are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me, Jesus? I mean, seriously, I mean, I, I can understand forgiving for this. I can f understand maybe forgiving for something like that. But, but seriously, I mean, do you know what happened to me? I mean, do you really understand what he put me through or she, what she put me through or what he said? I mean, do you know everything that I've gone through with this particular person? But Jesus said, I want you to forgive. Uh, if you want me to forgive you, I, I'm going to expect that the same uh, in your life, that, that you'll learn to forgive. You know, and so we may, may ask, well, 
what, what do you mean to forgive? What, what does that look like? Now, one of Jesus' disciples, a man by the name of Peter, asked the very same question of Jesus. And, and he knew what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 because he was there. He would have been present for that teaching. But as they got to know each other a little better, uh, a little later into the future, one day Peter came up to Jesus and asked again a question about the very same subject. And he went looking for some clarification on this whole topic of forgiveness. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, flip over to Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, beginning verse 21, here's where Peter comes from. He's asking this question about forgiveness. He says, Lord, Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Up to seven times, yes. Now, Jesus often taught with parables. Now, parables were stories. They were made up stories, but they were very believable stories. And Jesus told these stories to help draw people in to better understand what it is that he was trying to teach them in order to make a greater point. And in response to Peter's question, and really this whole matter of forgiveness, Jesus told a parable here in Matthew chapter 18 that I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at with you. And so Peter starts off this little conversation, maybe with some others present, and he asks Jesus, uh, he asks him about forgiveness, but he asks him what seems to be a pretty strange question when he says, well, Jesus is like seven times the limit. I mean, should I forgive my brother or should I forgive my sister or my mom or my dad or my friend up to seven times? Now, again, I know that sounds a little strange, but in the next verse, Jesus responds, seven? No, not seven times, Peter. How about 77 times? I think 77 would do. Now, it's worth noting that that in this day, that the Pharisees, that would be the religious leaders of the day, taught that forgiving someone, the same person, three to four times was a pretty righteous act. That if you were willing to forgive your brother three to four times, you were a very righteous person, and that would be considered a a pretty honorable uh, type of commitment. Now, Peter comes along and proudly suggests seven. Now, can you see the pride in this? I mean, can you see that he's kissing up to Jesus here? He's saying, hey, three to four times won't do it for me. I'm super spiritual. I've got this whole forgiving thing figured out. Jesus, I'm willing to go and do more than the three to four times. I'm willing to forgive up to seven times. Now, forgiving to this degree exceeded, far exceeded anyone's expectation in this day. This, of course, except for Jesus. He says, no, not seven times. But, but 77 times would be enough. Yeah, that's right. Forgive your brother. Forgive your sister. Forgive your mom, your dad, your friend, your acquaintance. Forgive them up to 77 times. Now, again, I know that sound might sound a little strange, but a number like this symbolized something. Uh, it meant something for the Jews and, and, and for the people listening on this day. This would have knocked them. This would have kept them, uh, left them speechless. 77, 77 times symbolized something. And again, to the Jewish listener, almost every number mentioned in the Bible meant something. And here, the number 77 basically meant it's not worth keeping count. When it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to the number of times that you ought to forgive, oh, don't keep count, Peter. It's not worth counting. There's no sense in keeping a record when it comes to extending forgiveness. You just forgive. That's the life that I'm calling you to, a life that you're willing to forgive. Now let's look at the rest of the parable, picking it up in Matthew 18 and verse 23. Here's where Jesus launches into the story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, and let's just stop there for a second, because Jesus is basically saying, hey, when it all comes together, here's what it looks like. 
I mean, this is, the, this is the life that I'm calling others to. And when everyone gets it, when people are following obediently, when everything is working right, and you and I are living our lives to honor and glorify Jesus in everything that we do, that is lives of holiness and obedience, when we're all living according to the ways of Jesus, here's a picture of what it's going to look like. It's the kingdom of heaven. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, a talent was a monetary unit, kind of like a dollar for us in their days. Now, how much? Well, that's pretty important. That's pretty important for this story because it really emphasizes the whole point of the story. You know, remember how I said a moment ago that numbers in the New Testament meant something? They symbolized something? Well, that's the same here. To the Jewish people of this day, 10,000 is astronomical. I mean, it's sort of like our national debt right now. I mean, it's just beyond comprehension. I mean, it's it's astronomical. 10,000 was the largest numeral used in the Roman vocabulary at this time. And so this guy owed his master as much as the human mind was able to comprehend at this point. And one commentary I read this past week said that it'd be something equivalent to around $20 million if you were to figure it out exactly. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, that is the servant here, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, I don't know about you, but I blame the doofus for loaning out $20 million to begin with. I mean, who in their right mind would loan out that kind of money? Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, notice here that the servant begs for patience. He realizes that he can't repay this debt, but he's willing to go to whatever limits he possibly can to repay it. But let's be honest, it's not going to happen. This guy doesn't have enough years left in his life to even possibly begin to think about repaying such a debt. There's no way that he could repay it back, but that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Again, this man doesn't have enough years to to go about it, but here's the big finish. Remember how Jesus opened this parable saying, here's what the kingdom of God is like. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like when we're all working together, when grace and mercy and love and forgiveness are really taking place in this world amongst everyone who calls in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what that looks like. That that when we're living obediently, verse 27, here's a picture of that. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now notice that he didn't create a schedule for repayment. Uh, He didn't raise the debt ceiling in this situation. His forgiveness wasn't conditional on something. He didn't extend the deadline, but instead he chose to extend mercy to the servant. He erased what was owed. He canceled the debt. And with that, Jesus said, and that's a picture of forgiveness. That's what it looks like. I think an appropriate definition of forgiveness emerges from these verses, especially here in verse 27. And in case you were wondering, if you were taking notes, uh, you can write this down. Here's just a great definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness means to cancel the debt. It means to cancel the debt that someone blindsides you, someone comes along and hurts you in your life, someone takes something from you or steals something from you, whether it be your marriage or your hope or your big plans or or a future or your dignity or a reputation. There is a debt that is created in that particular relationship. And as a result, you come to this place where you feel like you are owed something. Now, same story right here in this parable. It was all about money. It was about money owed. The servant owed the master money. He's unable to repay. And what does the master do? In the end, he forgives. 
He extends mercy and love to this man and he forgives the debt. Forgiveness means to cancel the debt. Who's it for you? Do you have a name on your receipt yet? Maybe that's someone that's come along in your life and they've taken something from you. Uh, a blindsided move of sorts and uh, you feel like you're owed. Uh, is there a name? Is there a face that comes to mind? I mean, maybe for you it's an ex. Uh, maybe for you it's a, a child, a, a long-lost wayward child. Maybe for you it's a dad. Uh, maybe it's a so-called friend from college that you haven't talked to in years. Maybe a former pastor. Is there someone that owes you? Is there a debt that is owed in your life right now and you feel like, you know what, I, I'm expecting some sort of repayment? Now, with, with that in mind, um, what is the life that Jesus has called us to as Christians? He says, oh, you need to forgive. Uh, forgiveness is God's way. It's what I've been doing and why I came here. And like the master in the story, it doesn't matter what you're owed. It doesn't matter how great of a debt it may be. Jesus told this story so that we could get a picture of the very extent of forgiveness. And Jesus says, here's what it looks like. This is what it looks like to forgive. Now back to the parable. And I'm just going to summarize, tell you the rest of the story. And you can go on and read this story for yourself uh, later on. But how does the servant who's been forgiven millions react in this particular moment? Well, his reaction is as amazing as the owner's or the servant, or I'm sorry, the master's action. The, the servant who's been forgiven millions doesn't go out and celebrate. He, he doesn't run home to tell his wife or to tell his family and friends. Instead, he goes out and he finds a co-worker who owes him about the equivalent of around $10. And he goes up to the guy and he starts choking him and he starts demanding repayment, saying, you know, you owe me money, chump. Where's my money? Give me my money. You owe me 10 bucks. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, this is the same story. This is the same parable. I mean, the people that were listening uh, to this parable, they had a hard time understanding it either. It's a messed up story. I mean, and this guy isn't in a position to repay the 10 bucks he owed because, you know, he had just spent all $10 on a cup of coffee at Starbucks or something. I mean, he doesn't have anything left. And so the recently forgiven servant, how does he respond? He has the man thrown into jail. And that's just really the controversy of this particular parable. It's the irony of this particular parable because in the same story, one story altogether, we see both forgiveness and unforgiveness and the ramifications of each at the very same time. Now, I was thinking about this this past week and talking it over with a couple of guys on our team. And, and I want to give you two reasons why I think it was so difficult for this servant to go out and to forgive this man that owed him money when he had been on the receiving end of such great forgiveness. And, and I just really think that you and I can be like this sometimes in our unwillingness to forgive. Why is forgiving hard? If you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, why is forgiving hard? Well, sometimes not forgiving feels good. And isn't that true? That not forgiving just really feels good. I mean, seriously it does. Um, physiologically, brain researchers tell us that when we dwell on vengeful thoughts, that it stimulates these uh, uh, pleasure centers in our brains, kind of like drugs do. And, and thoughts of vengeance feels good. I mean, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. I mean, it, it almost feels empowering at times to carry a grudge or to carry this desire for revenge. I mean, it gives you something to complain about with your friends. Or you've got this conversation that you keep playing over and over in your mind. And if you really had guts, I mean, you'd chew the other person out for what they've done to you. Because you think to yourself, how could he do this? How could she do this? She owes me big time. And it's almost like it's intoxicating. Sometimes I think we're unwilling to forgive because 
forgiving feels good and and it gives us something to complain about. But there's another possible reason why it's so hard to forgive, and it doesn't come out of brain research, but it comes right out of one little phrase in the parable. I mean, did you notice that the forgiven servant never asked for his debt to be forgiven? He didn't ask for that. He just simply asked for time to repay the debt. He didn't ask for it to be canceled. Uh, and, And what a stupid thing to ask for because there's no way, again, that he could ever possibly repay such an enormous debt. Now, here's what I'm getting at. And here's what I think maybe what Jesus wants to see. What if the reason the forgiven servant didn't do an end zone dance or this great celebration when he was forgiven, this beyond life debt, was because he never really realized that he had been forgiven? I mean, what what if that's one of the challenges here? I mean, he's thinking, I bought some more time. I've got some more time to pay my master back. I'll go find others who owe me and I'll collect from them so that I can pay my master back. You know, forgiveness was given to the servant, but not received. And so this cycle of unforgiveness kicks in to full gear because the servant in the story didn't comprehend the extent to which he had been forgiven. Why is forgiving hard? Well, I think forgiving feels good, but but I think it's something else. I think sometimes we're unwilling to forgive because we don't understand God's forgiveness for me, for us, for you. I mean, can you see it in the story? I mean, that's really how these parables are supposed to work. I mean, with most every parable, somebody in the story is a lot like me and somebody is a lot like God. And that's what we have here in this story. I mean, Jesus tells this story as a way of saying that though I've been offered forgiveness, I have this tendency to go around and try and collect repayment for the things that have been done against me, those who have hurt me. And it's sort of like what they owe me is paying back what they've done to me. Now, what do we do to people? Uh, How do we go about collecting? We make them pay, don't we? How do we make them pay? We make them pay through our comments, through the words that we choose. We make them pay through our looks, or we'll draw sides, or we'll even go to the extent of dropping them as a friend on Facebook, you know, if we have to. I mean, that's how we'll pay them back. Or we'll give these subtle or not-so-subtle reminders of what they've done. We'll, we'll, We'll let this resentment well up inside of us. We'll put the kids in the middle of it. We'll make them a part of the battle or we'll gossip. And how does this particular attitude take hold in us? Well, it's a failure to hear God, to really hear God say to us, all that you owe me is forgiven. Because when you put your faith, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that's what he does for us. He says, hey, I've canceled the debt. You owe nothing. There's nothing to repay. And, And I'm saying that I think one of the prime reasons that we have such a difficulty forgiving is because it's like we're living on this payment system that God has really tried to free us from. You know, your sins are forgiven, he says. Now you go do the same, but we miss this. And and so it's a little easy. It's easy to get a little sideways on on understanding God's love. And most of the time, we even know the right answers. I mean, we know the answer. Yes, God forgives. We, We know that to be true. We could all say that. But you dig a little deeper and we get caught up into believing that even our forgiveness is kind of an earned thing. And because we earn it, then it's so difficult to give it to someone else. You know, we earn God's forgiveness by being good. We earn God's forgiveness by being more religious. We we feel like we have to earn his love. And as a result, though, others have hurt us. You know, they've got to earn our forgiveness too. You know, because of what they've done, you know, they've got to work at this. They they owe me something because the action they've taken. And until they do, we're going to make them pay. And and so I think one of the reasons for giving us heart is that we, we don't really understand the extent to which we've been forgiven. I remember one time at another church, uh, there were two particular volunteers on one of our ministry teams that 
They, they just couldn't tolerate one another anymore. And it was kind of sad because they, they had a past relationship, friendship with one another and two particular women in this case. And I really try and stay out of arguments altogether, you know, with women. But in this case, I kind of got drawn into it just because they couldn't get along. And so I was chosen as a mediator. And I remember sitting down with them and and I just remember how frustrating it was for me as each of them told their story, none willing, neither willing to apologize, neither willing to take any responsibility in the matter. I mean, just going at each other with their words, and nothing was resolved in the end. I mean, they got up and walked away from one another, and one of them left the church over it, and to my knowledge, probably have no relationship today. Just be real with me for a second. On, on a scale of 1 to 10, I mean, how controversial, how messed up is it to say that God forgives me of my sin, but I can't forgive someone else for what they've done against me? I mean, how crazy, how messed up is that? I mean, can you see how not forgiving someone can just make you into a really big fat hypocrite? And who likes hypocrites today? I mean, what's more hypocritical than to be on the one side of an amazing grace from heaven, but not be willing to extend that to someone else? Now, back to the parable, you know, back to the master. He's the one who forgave the debt in this particular story. He canceled the $10,000 debt. Well, he gets word that the forgiven servant has just gone out and thrown another guy into jail for not repaying 10 bucks. And he loses his mind over this. And I think you could see why. I think you could understand why he'd get a little upset over this. And can you see the consistency in Jesus' message? Because go back one more to Matthew chapter 6, the scripture we looked at at the very beginning. He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now let's be clear on something. Jesus is not saying that this unforgiveness sort of thing is the new unforgivable sin. All right, don't get caught up on those words. But he's making a very strong, emphatic point that choosing not to forgive is outrageous, inauthentic, and very dangerous and a messed up sort of response to someone who supposedly has received the forgiveness of God in their own life. You know, Jesus used these words we'd wish he'd never said as a way of waking us up, shaking us up. He wants you and I to grasp how incredibly messed up it is to not forgive someone else when you've been on the receiving end of forgiveness in your life. And so again, I want to ask you, who is it for you? Who's the name that you wrote down on the receipt? Who's the face that comes to mind? I mean, can you replay that story over and over again in your head of what they did to you or what she said or how he acted? And maybe the question is, what are you demanding in repayment? And what are you demanding that they repay you as a way of canceling that debt? You know, Jesus, again, said a whole bunch of things we wish he never said. And we're going to look at five of them over these next few weeks. And again, he said some things that we would kind of pretend or want to pretend like he didn't say. And we could just overlook them. But, but if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you really want to honor God with your life, if you want to know him uh, to, 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 the, to the greatest extent, I mean, forgiveness is one of those things that we've got to spend some time with. And you've got to take a statement, you've got to take a verse like this, and you've got to really unpack it and think about it in your own life. What does this mean for me? What is the life that God is calling me to? What are the next steps that Jesus wants me to take? How do I go about forgiving? Now, how, how do we forgive? You know, even when we don't want to? Well, sometimes it's as easy as making a decision to. And that may be the case for some of you today. I mean, maybe you need to decide this morning, I'm going to forgive such and such who blindsided me. 
I'm going to forgive them for what they've done. And maybe it'll be that easy for you, but maybe it won't be that easy for you because let's just say, I mean, forgiveness isn't easy. It's not an easy step to take. You know, the truth is that learning how to forgive someone is not only one of the hardest things to do, but it can also be one of the most misunderstood things. And so we need to be clear on what forgiveness is not. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Forgiveness is not forgetting or dismissing. Forgiveness is not always forgetting or dismissing. You know, it's not always about uh, dismissing the wrong done. It's not about denying what happened. It's not about forgiving. In fact, the book of Proverbs tells us that a really dumb dog will return to its vomit. All right, and it was a way of saying that, you know, we don't always put ourselves in those situations where we become very vulnerable or, or we don't put ourselves in situations that are potentially dangerous. Because if you find yourself in a potentially dangerous situation right now, I mean, you need to get some help in that. You need to get others around you that can help you get to a safe place because forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean forgetting or dismissing. And sometimes forgiveness means confrontation is necessary. I mean, read through Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 is where this parable is located. Look at the verses just prior to it. And Jesus talks about a healthy approach to confrontation, that that confrontation is reasonable, but that when we go into confrontation, confrontation shouldn't be about seeking revenge, but reconciliation, forgiveness should always be the goal. So forgiveness is not forgetting or dismissing. Forgiveness is not the same as healing either. You know, because someone will forgive and then they'll say, you know, I thought I forgave them, but I still hurt. I mean, I thought I released this. I thought I had forgiven them, canceled the debt for what they've done, but I still have a lot of hurt and pain in me. And, and we tend to think that forgiveness should be this automatic that we're healed and we never go back to those memories or we never go back to that pain again. You know, someone once, once said, I came across this quote this past week, that you can forgive without healing, but you cannot heal without forgiving. You can forgive without healing, but you cannot heal without forgiving. So uh, the third thing is that forgiveness is not dependent on an apology. And I think it's so important that we hear that. Forgiveness is not dependent on an apology. Forgiveness does not hinge. It's not contingent on the guilty party admitting what they've done. It doesn't even mean that they have to be remorseful or apologize because it might not ever come. They might not ever apologize for what they've done. You know, and he or she could be dead. And so they may not have the ability to do this, but it doesn't change what Jesus said about forgiveness and the type of life that he's called us to. The last thing is that forgiveness is not always a one and done. It's not always a one and done thing. You know, forgiveness can be a lot like working out. I can wish that I had six-pack abs, buns of steel, or really large biceps, but unless I'm willing to put in the time, you know, to make that happen, it's never going to be seen. You know, forgiveness is something that you have to work at. And for some of you, this is going to be quite a journey for you if you make the decision to forgive because you can choose to forgive. You can choose to cancel the debt for someone in the room today or someone in your life. But if the pain is real and the healing is going to take a while, forgiveness is this thing that you might have to keep coming back to every single day. In fact, it may be something that will drive you to your knees as you seek God and you seek his wisdom and his guidance and his strength to help you to forgive. Another quote. Someone said, forgiveness is having every right to punish someone who has wronged you, but choosing not to. And then what did Jesus say once more? Forgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, forgiveness is canceling the debt. It's making a decision in your life that you're going to set them free, that you don't expect anything 
in payment in return, but you're choosing to set them free from what is owed. Who is it for you? What's the name or the face that maybe God's Spirit is putting in your heart, on your mind this morning? Is there someone in your life that you haven't forgiven? Someone in your life that maybe you're realizing that you thought you forgave, but maybe you haven't, or maybe you need to do some more work in this to release them, to let them go. I want to close by telling you a story. Corey Tinboom was a Dutch Christian uh, Holocaust survivor, and uh, she and her family uh, for many years helped Jews escape from Nazi Germany, and they did this until they were caught one day. And uh, the Nazi uh, forces rounded up her family and sent them off to concentration camp. And she lost her dad in that concentration camp. But particularly, and if you read uh, some of Corey Tinboom's work, she and her sister Betsy uh, spent much of their time together and eventually wound up at the notorious uh, Ravensbrück concentration camp. And uh, after uh, her, her, her sister Betsy died in this particular concentration camp, but Corey survived and eventually spent the rest of her life traveling the world, preaching the gospel and writing about things like forgiveness. And there was one particular story, and you maybe have heard this before, but, but I want to share just a short portion of this story with you as she writes about forgiveness. She says this, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands, Uh, People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that our God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that's where God's forgiven sins were thrown. When we forgive our sins, or when we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, they collected their wraps. In silence, left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform, then a visor capped with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, sharp ribs beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were, she writes. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in line in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say that our sins are indeed at the bottom of the sea. And I who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take the hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him and this leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me, but since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God forgives me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. How could her terrible death be erased from my mind? 
It couldn't have been seconds that I stood there, his hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever been called to do, but I had to do it. I knew that the message that God forgives had a prior condition that we forgive those who had injured us. That if you do not forgive men their sins, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your sins. And I knew it was not only a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. And since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality, those who were able to forgive their enemies, but those who weren't able to, those who nursed their bitterness wounds. But I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed in that moment silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you have to supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the outstretched one. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then his healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes as she said, I forgive you too, my brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did right then. Who's it for you? Who owes you in your life right now? And how do you even go about thinking about the possibility of forgiving them today? I think it looks something like that, this, that um, really in comparison to the debt that someone may owe me, when you think about it in the grand picture, the debt that I owe God, this is nothing. You know, the number of times that I've turned my back on God, the number of times that I've lived in a way that has displeased Him or concerned Him. And yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of my, at times, unwillingness to forgive, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when I put my trust and when I surrendered my life to him, he canceled the debt. He said, you know what, this, this debt doesn't matter anymore. And with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, my debt was forgiven. Um, what about for you? I mean, maybe today you just need to take this with you. Maybe there's a name that needs to go on here. Maybe you need to put this in a place until you're ready to forgive as you pray, God, give me the strength to forgive. It might mean getting some help. It might mean getting some people around you to help you forgive. But maybe it's a decision this morning. And it's a decision that you make of, I'm going to cancel the debt. They owe me nothing. I'm going to cancel the debt. Let's pray. As we bow our heads in prayer this morning, I just want to give you a moment to think about who that person may be for you. And maybe just take a moment in your own time, in your own space to pray, God, give me the strength and the power to forgive today. Would you pray that prayer? Take a moment and just do that on your own. God, give me the power to forgive. If you're looking for that strength to forgive this morning, I'm with your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you just realize I can't do this on my own, I need supernatural, overwhelming strength from heaven to even begin to be able to think about forgiving someone else. Would you just slip your hand up in the air as a way of saying, would you pray for me this morning? 
because I need help in this. I can't do this on my own. Just as a way of saying that, just slip your hand up in there and say, will you pray for me today? I'm not going to call you out by name. Thank you for that hand there. Some of you are there in your heart right now. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for those in this room this morning who are maybe recognizing that there's someone in their life they need to forgive. There's a death that needs to be canceled, a person that needs to be set free. God, would you overwhelm them right now with your power and your presence in their life and would you give them the strength to forgive, to let go, to cancel the debt? You know, as we continue praying, I mean, again, just going back to that parable, going back to what we've talked about this morning, you know, your, your greatest motivation, your greatest, the, the greatest strength behind you right now in your life, you know, as God reminds you that you are forgiven and because I've forgiven, you can do the same. Just continue asking God, God, give me that strength. Give me that strength to forgive. But maybe you're here today with us. And as we continue to pray, maybe you realize that you've never received God's forgiveness in your own life. And maybe that's your own challenge today. Uh, You can receive that right here this morning. You know, as you open up your heart to God and say, God, I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I need his death and resurrection in my life. I need my past to be washed away, my debt canceled. If that's you this morning and you want to invite Jesus Christ into your life to give you that strength, just slip your hand up where you are as a way of saying, I need Jesus. I can't do this on my own. If that's you today and you're ready to make that commitment in your life, pray this prayer with me. God, I need you. And I need your forgiveness in my life. And I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Let your love change me today. God in heaven, I know that it's impossible maybe for some of us uh, to come to this place this morning where we're we're ready to forgive and to wipe the slate clean and walk out of these doors and be changed forever. But that may happen for some today, God. And if that is, I pray that you continue that work. But I also realize there may be others who need some more time with this. But God, I pray that they'd be willing to take their time with this. That we'd even be willing to go to these words that we wish Jesus would never say, that he never said but in the end realize that we're so glad that he did. God, would you give us the strength to forgive? Would you show us the life that you've called us to live? And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was thinking this past week, talking to Cameron, you know, it's interesting that, you know, even our forgiveness is a form of worship. I mean, it really is. It's a way of saying, God, I want to honor you with my life. I'm giving all of my life to you. I'm bringing your kingdom to this place in everything that 